0: Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139, Psalm 139. We're going to be reading the first six verses of this, I think, fairly well-known Psalm, Psalm 139. Let's give our attention now to the reading of the Word of God. This is a Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This is the word of the Lord. We are, Lord willing, going to be Taking a few Sundays, uh, when I'm in the pulpit at least, to uh, talk about this particular song. It is a, one of the most moving psalms to me uh, that uh, I can find in all of the 150 psalms. Uh, it's a, a psalm that's divided into four parts, or really four stanzas, because it's really a, a song. David was a musician and he composed uh, about half of the Psalms that are in our Bibles and this is one of them. It's not only divided into four sections, but each section is six verses long. Six times four is 24. 24 verses in this Psalm and we're looking at the first stanza, if you will, this morning and over the next three times that Uh, I'll be here in the pulpit. We will look at the other three. This psalm is a hymn of praise to the greatness of God. The greatness of God. And in the first three stanzas, three specific attributes of God are highlighted. And all three of these begin with the word omni, O-M-N-I. Omni means all. And so in this first one, we are learning about the uh, omniscience of God. Don't throw some big words at you. Omniscience, omniscient, omniscience. Uh, And that means all knowing, omniscience. God is all knowing. And David is reflecting on that. Then in the next six verses he's going to talk about God's omnipresence. That's pretty clear. He's all present. He's everywhere. And he makes that again very personal. And then in the third section, which is verses 7, uh, excuse me, verses 13 through 18, he deals with God's omnipotence. All-powerful omnipotence. So we're going to look at the first of these attributes that David is thinking about today in verses one through six. David here sings about the incredible omniscience of God and how he is overwhelmed by it. It's important that when we read our Bibles <laughs> that we don't just Read it for information and say, "Oh, okay, that's what that—that's what that says." Okay, let's move on. David is meditating. He's thinking about what he is writing. That that hymn we sang a while ago by John—what's his name? Newton. That hymn is not—I told you—it's not the typical kind of song that you would sing. But it was so realistic. And it was so personal. And that's what we're getting here. Thinking about this one aspect of the nature of God. His omniscience. So the first thing to notice here is that God's knowledge of me is certain. Verse 1. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have searched me and known me. What we're doing here is what could be called applied theology. Did you know that the title of one of R.C. Sproul's 500 books that he wrote, however many it was, he has a title for one of them called Everyone is a Theologian. You are a theologian not a professional one, perhaps, but you're a theologian. The only issue is how much of a theologian are you and how accurate and how good of a theologian are you? Even the person who says, I don't believe in God, that's his theological point uh, to live by. So he's a theologian. He's a bad theologian, (laughs) but he's a theologian. And what we're learning here is that we need to take Good theology, that is, the truths that we find embedded in scripture, and they need to be wedded, W-E-D-D-E-D, not W-E-T. They need to be wedded to our hearts. Mind and heart need to be in sync. What we learn about God needs to impact our hearts and the way we live our lives. And so David here is being very personal. Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. He's the king of Israel. He's not thinking about anybody else right now. Don't get so busy in your responsibilities in your daily lives that you fail to take time to think about God and you. God and you. David is doing that, right? The king, the king of Israel is speaking to God about God. We just need to let that sink in. So important. He's drinking in his awareness of God's perfect knowledge of him. He uses this word search. It's funny, it's interesting, not funny, it's interesting that at the end of this psalm you'll read the same word found near the end of the psalm it's in verse 23 we'll look at that of course when we get to it but it's a familiar verse search me O god and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and here we're hearing david say you have searched me now understand that doesn't mean god didn't know some things about david and so he had to keep searching until he found him We know better than that. God instantly, constantly, fully knows everything about everything. And if God knows everything about everything, which you would think a a true God would do, he knows everything. That means he knows everything about you. And so as God searches us, God is... At the same time, knowing us, the God who made us knows everything and he knows me. Now, if that's true, let's let's think in New Testament terms as well. Think about how the son of God, Jesus, in the New Testament tells us, Jesus tells us that he knows us. In John chapter 1, there's a very interesting uh, little uh, snippet of uh, activity going on as Jesus begins calling his disciples. And as he does that, uh, he, of course, has <clears throat> called, first of all, Philip in uh, John 1, 43, and tells Philip, follow me. And then it says, Philip found Nathanael, and he said, I found The Messiah, come with me. And Nathaniel, uh, if they could translate this into English, probably said something like this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) Y'all, you're you're all mixed up. You've fallen for some guy that's not even qualified to be considered as the Messiah. And (laughs) Philip, in his wisdom, doesn't argue with that. He just says, come and see Check it out for yourself. And so he comes and verse 47 of John chapter one, Jesus sees Nathaniel coming toward him and he says of him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. It's like, you know, you don't have to wonder what this guy's thinking because he's got to tell you. <laughs> Can anything good come out of Israel? I mean, out of uh, Bethlehem, Nazareth. And so... <laughs> Uh, he's, he's a little skeptical, but then when he hears Jesus talk about himself as though he had known him, he's a little surprised. And so he says, how do you know me? Jesus, how do you know me? Verse 48. And Jesus answered him before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And of course, Nathanael's convinced by then. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus knew him before he knew Jesus. And of course, we can say the same things of us. Since you have been a Christian, if you can remember the time when you became a Christian, some people can, some people can't. It was just too gradual. But... If you do, keep in mind, you came to know Jesus, but way before that, Jesus already knew you. How long ago did he know us? Eternity. He's known us from eternity. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And later in John chapter one, excuse me, in John chapter two, Verses 24 and 25, we need to read another aspect of this. It says there, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows what's going on inside us. And Jesus himself speaks of this One other place here in John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of us and all of his people in verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 10, where Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father And I lay down my life for the sheep. Just as the father knows me, I know my sheep. Same level of knowledge. You begin to get the idea why David was overwhelmed with all of this. And verse 27 there, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus knows us. In the book of Hebrews, we read in chapter 4, verse 13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, for all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing deeply someone, even knowing them lovingly. Think about the people that you know that are the closest to you, that your heart Uh, loves them you would do anything for them you care for them you don't have that same caring and affection for everybody they're special to you there's no way we could extrapolate that enough to understand the knowledge and the love that are coupled together for us that God has but it is true the Lord knows them that are his Paul told Timothy God knows His people. A long time ago, uh, we went to Washington D.C. Uh, we weren't summoned there by anyone important. We went on our own, <laughs> and we did the visiting, and you know, saw Arlington Cemetery and some of the uh, uh, Vietnam Memorial, uh, different places. But when we were at Arlington Cemetery, we stopped to see the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is a, a wonderful monument. The purpose of it is so wonderful. And on that tombstone, on the top, engraved on it somewhere, I can't remember exactly where, engraved on it says this, known but to God. Nobody knew this soldier. He never had been identified, and that was the case with many who had died in battle. But God knew, and thankfully, at that point, our government understood that to some extent and allowed that engraving to be put on there. What a blessing that is to remember that. God knew who that soldier was, just like he knows every soldier that's laid down his life or his country. Now, just consider the sheer amazement that this should evoke in us. God's knowledge of you and me is never wrong. It's never lacking. Everything about us, he knows you as you really are. Second thing to note here, God's knowledge of me is comprehensive. Comprehensive. Verses two through five, just kind of walk through different aspects of life. David's just breaking this down, which is a good thing to do. Learn something about in the Bible and and you can uh, break it down and, and apply it. How much does God know about me? How much does God know about me? Well, there's... Uh, Some rivals to who knows how much. What about Santa Claus? Is God like Santa Claus? You know the song? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Well, I hope we know how to interpret that. With apologies to Santa Claus. Um. It does help us to better grasp God's nature here Because God is God He knows everything about everything And with apologies to Santa Claus As I said No one possesses exhaustive knowledge Except God I like the way A.W. Tozer put it God has never learned anything from anyone God cannot learn Unquote now, um, God cannot learn. There is a sense in which there are things that we can say God cannot do. God cannot go, basically go against anything. It's against his nature. And that's, this is one aspect of, of that. He cannot learn because he already has been taught everything. Now, I know some people who seem to think they cannot learn anymore you may know some people like that. Um, the town we lived in before we moved back home, uh, the community had a, a know-it-all night. I always wanted to go to one of those. It was kind of a, a game thing they would play to see who could answer the questions and when and I guess they would be crowned the know-it-all person for the night. They answered every question and there are some people that we probably can think of that seem to think that they're know-it-alls. You know, they, they know all the, you tell somebody that there's something wrong with them medically, oh, they've got this and this and this and oh, they need to take this and this or they need to do this, they just rattle it off. And have they had any medical ed- education? No, <laughs> probably read it on the internet. Good old know-it-alls, only God is the know-it-all, rightly so. All right, so what does God know? Well, look, just look at how he, he tracks this out. I'm just going to mention these. In the beginning of verse 2, he knows what we're thinking. Excuse me. i get that out of order. He knows what we are doing. That's first. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up. And a little further down, of course, he says in the middle of verse 3, uh, that he uh, searches out his path and, and his lying down. You know where I'm going. You know what's going on with me. You know what I'm doing. And then he says in uh, verse 2 also, he knows what we are thinking. You discern my thoughts from afar. Now, once in a while when we're in a conversation with someone, if we know them pretty well, we know what they're thinking. We know what they're going to say next, you know. And um, usually we're, we're pretty close. You know, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but that's just occasional. We only get that right, you know, a certain percentage of the time. God knows what we're thinking all the time. And that's something we ought to try to remind ourselves of. God knows my thoughts. Look, when, and I think it's of Satan, when Satan Uh, uh, Shoot some arrows in your mind With ungodly thoughts Then you need to jettison them You need to recognize them for what they are It's a temptation It's not a sin for those thoughts to come into your mind It's what happens with them once they're there You know Don't Don't uh, uh, Fraternize with them Don't mull them over Recognize them for what they are and focus, refocus your mind on things that are acceptable to God. Things that are true. Things that are good. Things that are lovely. So that's the the case for that. And then a little further down, he knows where we're going. You search out my path, am I lying down? You search out my path in my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Everywhere I I go, you're there. He'll say more about that later. But he knows where we are. He knows what we say before we say it. Even before a word is on my tongue, verse 4, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Before I even say it, before I even know that I'm going to say it, before I even think of saying it, God knows. He's never surprised. And in verse 5, he has us right, this is my thinking here, he's saying he has us right where he wants us. You hem me in, behind and before. You're there in front of me, you're there behind me, you surround me you lay your hand upon me. Oh, that's that's an incredible thing to think about. God's hand is on us. That's how close he is with us. John Calvin said that these people, us, cannot move a hair's breadth without his knowledge. A hair's breadth. How wide is a hair? <laughs> You know, you, you can't even slightly budge without God knowing that you've slightly budged. And that means he knows everything that goes on with us. Now, the last thing to note here, God's knowledge of me is incomprehensible. Don't get that mixed up with comprehensive. He knows everything. But as we try to, to process that, it just blows David's mind. And he says, such knowledge, verse 6, is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. It is high. I cannot attain it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He doesn't know what to do with that. (laughs) It's the same thing that Job said in Job 42, verse 3. In the middle of verse 3, Job 42, he says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. That was after God had basically told Job, he peppered him with several chapters of questions, which began with, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? (laughs) Can you think that Job's going, oh, and after three chapters of questions like that, Job is just sinking lower and lower and lower and he's humbled to the dust and he can't, he can't grasp the fact that, hey, this is way out of my league. You know what's behind all this and I don't. And by the way, he won't until he got to glory. We don't always know in this life why God does some things in our lives. But we know that God knows and will do all things well. In Romans 11, Paul says, you know, uh, God's knowledge is incomprehensible. Who has known the mind of the Lord? The application is this. If God is too wonderful in his thoughts of me and his knowledge of me, too wonderful for me to fully uh, measure and, and grasp, then we need to bow in humble acknowledgement of God. Let God have his place and we have our place and be humbled by the fact that we are in his hands and he knows everything concerning us. But here's the thing, we've got to understand the big difference between those who know Christ and those who don't. When it comes to God knowing everything, The Christian should respond by worshiping God. God's complete knowledge for the good of his redeemed people should comfort us. But it should also enact, uh, keep in mind that God's going to enact justice for those who do not revere him. People who don't know the Lord, the fact that God knows them and they don't have a hiding place in Christ, then they are in a very, very precarious and dangerous position. If you are separated from God because of your sin and you have not looked to Christ for salvation, the omniscience of God is a cause of great terror. You cannot fool God. Do not think that he is unaware of your thoughts and your deeds and your words. Not one of your sins will go unnoticed on the great day of judgment and you will be held responsible for each one of them if you don't know Christ. You are already condemned because of your guilt before a holy God. What will you do? Doing nothing only confirms your condemnation. Turning from your sin and guilt and calling on Christ to save you will flip your status with God from being under condemnation to being able to say, with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So come to Him. Jesus, who knows everything about you, nonetheless offers his sinless life and his redeeming death on the cross to save you. That's the message that has to go out to those who aren't believers in Christ. But I leave you with the comfort, the comfort for the believers in Christ. The truth that God knows us completely is a source of amazement, yes, but also comfort. This psalm is a perfect example of how sound theology affects daily living. Of how head and heart must be welded together, as I said, to produce confidence and comfort. Just to give you one example, think in this terms. God knows me. He knows me better than I know me. Therefore, he knows what is best for me when I may not know what's best for me. And so we can say, okay, humbly, I have to admit, I think I've got it all figured out, but I don't. Lord, you know me and you know what I need. You know what I need to do. You know what needs to take place in my life. And therefore, I'm entrusting my life to you. Sound theology. As we come to the Lord's table, let's now think in terms of the Christ who laid down his life for us, knowing all our sins and paying the penalty for every single one of them. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your mercy and grace We thank you that justice and mercy came together on the cross for our sins were justly and fully paid for by the perfect God-man, the Lord Jesus himself. And Lord, we thank you that you know us perfectly, fully. We are comforted by that. So keep us, Lord, from being fools in our decisions. Steer us in the direction in which we need to go. But Lord, now give us ever grateful hearts as we remember the cross. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.